What's up, everyone? You're listening to Citywide Front Row. Citywide is a place for young adults in the DMV to connect and grow closer to Jesus. We hope you enjoy today's episode. So John chapter 12, verses uh, 36b through 50. So let's read it together, and then we will work our way from there. Because hopefully you have a Bible. There we go. Perfect. All right. When Jesus had said these things, he departed, and he hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed and what who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. So there's this starting point, just to catch you up, in the last couple of weeks where we've missed, uh, where, where we haven't been talking about as much, is when we picked up at the end of 12, it was the last, the middle part of 12, it was the last time we said Jesus was going to speak to crowds. So he'd been doing ministry, and this was the last time the word crowd is used in John, in John chapter 12, and we see that Jesus is going to start to come to a close on his ministry to the crowds. He's going to narrow down on his disciples for the week, and then he's going to go to the cross and die and rise again, and that's going to be the story that we have here. And so Jesus now has done all these miracles, and he's done all these things before all these people, and look at this at the beginning here. It says, when Jesus said these things, he departed. Though he had done many signs before them, they still didn't believe him. I mean, Jesus had been doing things left and right. He just raised Lazarus from the dead. Multiple witnesses, clearly not, just something made up. He had been raising people from the dead. He'd been healing people that were blind. He had been bringing sick people uh, to health. He'd been doing all these amazing things and then speaking the word of God on people's lives, confounding people that tried to confuse him. He just passed every test left and right for what you would think God would be like when he came in terms of his power and his wisdom and all these different things. It's like abundantly clear this whole record of everything that he's done. And you still have here, though he had done so many signs, the people still didn't believe. And this is the point of the gospel where it's going to begin to take us a couple ways into the life of the disciples, and particularly one of them who did not believe, and what does it look like for the rest of them. And then the whole book of John is going to call all of us to account to see Jesus and make a decision in terms of belief or not. And what we're going to learn today, part of what we're going to learn today is what does real belief Look like, but I want us to tackle this question first. They didn't do many things. He did many signs. They didn't believe him. And the reason why I love part of this passage is, especially as I talk to people, and you may be some of you in this room right now, where people are talking to me about God, and you know the question or the thing they say to me is, "I just need more evidence." I get this a lot in conversations with people. It's an honest question, but people say, "I just need more evidence." And there might be some of you. Maybe a friend brought you. Maybe you've been coming. You're just not convinced. And I, I had a guy, he would come to Citywide all the time, and he moved, and he's still a friend of mine, but he just couldn't get over this hump intellectually to say, I just, I wish I could see it, you know? I wish I could just see him. I wish he would just write it in the sky. Like, if you're really God, just say it, right? Make a cloud, say, hey, I'm God, I'm here. I would believe that, you know? Like, who could explain that, you know? Or if, if maybe, I love him, people are like, if God would just come down here, I'm like, he did. That's exactly what he did. This is the story that I'm telling you, is he did come down here. So let's get rid of that one. Uh, but it's always, I just need more evidence. If I just knew this, or if he just like, he's God. Like, why don't he make himself more clear? Just show me. Like, why do you make believing in you so hard? Like, if you're God, show me. 
And a lot of times people, and there may be you people in the room or you have friends that are this way, and what I, what I want you to see is there's never a point in which there's enough evidence for the human heart. There's never a point in which there's enough evidence for the human heart because look at these people. They had Jesus right in front of them for a long period of time doing crazy, insane things. The kind of things that you and I say, if I just saw that, I would believe. Man, if I just saw somebody come back from the dead in Jesus' name, boy, I would believe. Right? If I was just there, I would believe. If God came down right in front of me and looked me in the eye and said, I am God, and then did something crazy like levitate and bring somebody around, I would believe. That's what we say. These are literally the things Jesus is doing. Left and right. Right in front of people. Like direct eyewitnesses. It's not just he said, she said. It's like these people are with Jesus. He's doing this stuff all the time. They all have this direct firsthand experience of Jesus doing crazy stuff. And in light of all of that, here's the truth. They still did not believe in him. So the question for, for many of us, and the, really the challenge for some of you, is it's good to, to think, obviously. It's good to think hard, and it's good to have facts. These are good things that God has provided to us. Christianity is not a blind leap of faith in the dark. It is not. I hate it when people say that. It is very clear and evident that God has made this word and that he's made this world and he sent Jesus. This is not a blind faith, a leap in the dark. But at the end of the day, if you're seeking more and more evidence for you to get over the hump, there will never be enough. Because what's the problem is your heart, not your mind. The problem with all of us as humans is not our minds, it's our heart. It's what we love, it's what we want. The problem that you have, if you're here and you're in that, or that your friend has, isn't that they need more evidence, it's that they just don't want there to be a God. They just don't want there to be a God. I don't want somebody to rule over my life. I don't want to be held accountable before anybody. I don't want somebody that can tell me what to do. I want to be God, so if there's another God, I can't be God. So I'm going to say whatever to all this other evidence because I simply just want to be God. I want to be the God of my own life. I was, I was actually running in my neighborhood, uh, and there was this guy, which is always kind of a weird place to have a conversation, and I was running by his house. I had seen him a couple times, and we began to, he was like, hey, and I was like, hey, and I was kind of like, you know, you know, he stopped, because I was running so fast, guys, and so I, we stopped, and, uh, and I began to talk to him, and uh, began to try to talk to him about Jesus, you know, and he's like, well, you know what I believe? I believe that I'm God. And I was like, you're a pretty puny God. <laughs> you're a terrible God. <laughs> like, I mean, just based off objectivity, you may be very strong, but like, you're just a bad God. Like, you didn't even give yourself breath right now. You just didn't even do that. So I don't understand. Like, I just, I'm God. God, God is me. I'm God. And we're just going back and forth. And he was like, no. And he just couldn't. It just, he wanted to be God so bad that any idea that there's another God, no matter how clear the evidence is, or no matter how how ridiculous it is for a human being to say that about themselves, right? Knowing that you have no control over your life. Like somebody out there is always bigger, stronger, faster than you. Like how could you be God when there's always someone like that? This doesn't make sense. And so no matter how clear that is, the desire for him to want to be God and to have control over his life was so great that any facts you presented before him, like if you're God, you should probably be able to give yourself breath and you didn't do that so this should eliminate your godness and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And the problem is the heart. You know, Romans says the same thing when I talk to people all the time. Romans talks about how the, the glory of God, the divineness of God is made clear and it's without, just, it's without being refutable. It's there and it says that everybody knows this. 
It's my favorite, Pat, Romans 1, uh, 18 through 20. It says, everybody knows that there's a God. There's no such thing as an atheist, mind you. If you're an atheist here, you're just lying to yourself. There's no such thing. And there's, everybody knows there's a God. What happens is people acknowledge that, they hate it, so they suppress it. That's what the Bible says. The creation has revealed things to such an extent that we're just aware. Innately, humans are aware. This is why you can go anywhere in the world, you'll find people worshiping something. Why? Because we know. Why can I show up anywhere in the world and people have an innate desire to worship something? Why is that? Because we know. We know that there's something above and beyond us. And what we do now is say, I hate that. I hate that. And we reject it, no matter how clear the evidence may be. And so some of you might be in that boat. And I want to encourage and challenge you that there's something wrong with your heart, not with your head. And that Jesus is really God and he loves you and he wants to break through that. So... This is the example here that helps me think through that now. That if these people couldn't believe, based off all the evidence they have, evidence is not the problem. Right? And I'm a guy who got a Master's of Divinity, which is 96 credit hours, in the study of apologetics, which means I studied how to give great evidence to people so that they would be persuaded that the Christian faith is true. Right? I dedicated three years of my life to that. So I'm saying that is important. Evidence is good. I am all about it. But at the end of the day, that's not the problem. At the end of the day, it's your heart that's the problem. And it's my heart that's the problem. So they saw all these things they didn't believe. They had more evidence that I could ever philosophically give them, and they still didn't believe. Why? Why is this so? Well, here you go. So that the word spoken by prophet Isaiah, which is in Isaiah 6, might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their hearts and blinded their eyes, Hardened their heart. He, being God, has blinded their eyes, hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn. Because if they did that, I would heal them. And his point being that what's happening now is a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy of what was happening in his time. It's the human condition. But remember what we've seen that rubs against us. Look at this. This bothers you, doesn't it? God has blinded their eyes so they can't see. That seems very unfair. Seems like not a fair fight. If my eyes are blinded by God and I can't see, then how am I supposed to see? In John 6, remember we began to talk about this, how only those who are drawn by the Father come to him. That God is the one who must initiate salvation and do the miracle of salvation. It's not about some great decision that we made or some works that we can accomplish. It is God who must do the miracle to uncover the blindness on our eyes. And it's also something that God does as an act of judgment. So here, we're going to see later how you're complicit in this, and I'm complicit. So we, God is doing this as an act of judgment over our rejection. This is what we rightfully deserve. We don't deserve to be able to see. We hate God, so we don't deserve to be able to see. So when we see, it's an act of mercy from God, which makes us so thankful for salvation because it's something I didn't deserve in the first place. But this is the theological weight behind it where he says in the Old Testament this was true. Isaiah's ministry, which would be the worst job ever, was to go preach a word that nobody would receive. Imagine like me being a pastor and every time I said anything to y'all, y'all were like, boo, you know. Every time you came, you just came to taunt me. You know, that would be what Isaiah's ministry was. And sometimes y'all throw rocks at me and you grab me and you beat me and whatever. And every time I say something from the Lord... Uh, what, what God has said, you say those things like that. This is Isaiah's ministry, and he's saying, 
You've revealed yourself, and they still aren't believing. And the reason, theologically, is that your judgment on them is legitimate because of the blindness of their eyes. So you blinded their eyes. So we're going to see a little bit later from the rest of the passage how you and I are complicit in that. Uh, But it's another affirmation in John about how our condition is something only God can fix. My salvation is completely dependent on the action of God. I cannot open my eyes. You cannot open your friend's eyes, right? You cannot persuade someone into the kingdom. You should give your best defense. That's your job. At the end of the day, the Spirit must open eyes. So I can do loops apologetically, and somebody just be like, don't care. Or I could say the simplest gospel sentence, and someone, because the Spirit's got to do the work. So here's, the, here's what we see here. What I want you guys to do, just for a minute, uh, and so we can make it a little quicker, I, I want you to answer number two. If there's something unique about number one, you're just like, wow, that really stood out to me. But unless that's the case, just answer number two real quick. Talk amongst yourselves. This will be a shorter discussion time. Uh, and think through that aspect of, of that feeling we have about, I just need more evidence. I know we've all went through that. So let's continue reading through the passage. Here's where I really, obviously, uh, that part and all parts of the Bible are, are equally important. But here's, here's the crux. This is what, where I really wanted to get. This is what I feel like the Lord really wants us to focus on tonight. Verse 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. So basically, remember, Isaiah sees the glory of God, Isaiah 6. So he has this unique perspective. Now he's speaking about it, and they're still rejecting what he has seen and says. So nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him. This is an interesting word now. Many of these authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. So they would not be put out of the synagogue. Why? Why did they do this? Here it is. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. This is why they're complicit in me, in you. Is we're judged, God is hardening our hearts and, and blinding our eyes, but it's an act of judgment on our rejection, our complicit rejection to say, I love everything more than God. And this is our natural heart, and this is, this is really what, what he's getting after. And what really made me think about this, so you remember, and we'll talk about this, is earlier in John chapter 5, Jesus says the same thing about people, that they loved the glory of man more than the glory of, of God. This is their problem of their life, is that they can't get over their own love for the glory of man, and it prevents them from really believing. Get this. Look how important this is. They believed him, but they wouldn't confess it. So is that real belief? No. Does this belief save anybody? No. What's, so this is the difference between heaven and hell for them. They believe Jesus. He's true. I believe it. But I love the glory of man that comes more than the glory that comes from God. So even though everything that he does is blatantly, obviously true, and even though he's the only way to heaven, I simply cannot get over my own love for the praise of people. And now, these people, and we do this, I'm going to choose, even though the evidence is there, I'm going to choose receiving the praise of people over the praise of God. And I'm going to throw myself into hell simply to receive the praise of people. You get what's happening here? They, this is so important. They believe. They believe. But they're not saved. 
And the reason they're not saved is they love the wrong thing. This is very important, guys. I say this all the time. You come here, you can believe all the right things about Jesus, but if you don't love him, you're not a Christian. You're not. What's the number one command from the Lord? It's that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What's the problem? Their minds weren't the problem. They believed. What's the problem? Their heart. They don't love. So let me walk you through. This is so important, I want to defend it biblically some more, the kind of real belief that we see here. And I lost my paper notes, and I'm trying to find it on my phone. I have no idea where they went, but uh, this is my life. So I got five things I want us to see about why real believing is something different than this. Uh, So that's what we're going to look at, and hopefully it'll help us. So number one, real believing requires confession. It requires confession. Romans 10, 9, 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess, if you confess. What does Jesus say as well? If you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. You reject me before men, I'll reject you before my Father. So confession, if they won't confess, they don't believe. Now, does this mean at the moment of salvation you have to like say something out loud to get saved? No, that's not what Romans 10 means. I think what it means is that your life now begins to be a public confession of your belief in your heart. So, so much so, if you never, if you call yourself a Christian but you never confess the name in front of people, I would be very weary of you actually being a Christian. If you, I'm, I'm, I'm just, if you call yourself a Christian but you've never shared the gospel, I just don't, I don't know. I couldn't honestly look you in the eye and say you should feel confident about your relationship with God. Why? Because confession is a natural ingredient. Now, is it because you earn some status with God by confessing? No, but it shows what's really in the heart, right? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if I believe in my heart that Jesus really is the Savior of the world and I love him so much, my mouth will speak of that. It will, it will, it will, it will. And if my mouth doesn't speak of it, it's evidence that my heart doesn't believe it. So confession is a necessary part of belief and salvation. That's why it's so crucial in terms of belief. So this kind of belief isn't real because it doesn't confess. Real belief confesses. Number two, a new desire to please God instead of man is evidence of real change. So here's your second reason that real belief looks different than their belief salvific belief, belief that saves. Not only is confession essential, but a new desire to please God instead of man is a part of the evidence of real change. That's Galatians 1.10. Galatians 1.10, Paul talks about he no longer lives to please men. Now, do you do that perfectly? Of course not. Do I care what you think right now? Of course I do, I always do, and I always have to fight that. Do you care what people think at your table? Of course you do. So are you doing that perfectly? No, but is your general desire leaning towards and growing in loving the approval of God and not caring about the approval of men, yeah, that should be happening. So evidence of real change in the heart, salvific, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven because of what Jesus has done for me, I've truly repented and trusted in Christ. Evidence of that is that you love the praise of God more than the praise of men, for the most part, generally speaking. Okay, so that's Galatians 1.10, and they didn't do that here. So the fact that they wouldn't do that shows that they're not really saved. Jesus says the same thing uh, in John 5, 44. 
The same thing is here, he says, but he uses the category of belief. Get this, John 5, 44, he says, how can you believe when you love the glory that comes from men more than the glory that comes from God? Meaning, you can't believe, that's what he's saying. How can you believe if you love the glory that comes from men more than the glory that comes from God? If you love the praise of men more than the praise of God? His point is, you, you can't believe, that's what he's saying. Which means, if you love the praise of men more than the praise of God, you don't believe. That's, that's, what, that's, what, John, that's what he's trying to say here. Now, once again, not you struggle with that sometimes. Of course you do. But generally speaking, are you growing in that? And that's your general disposition in life. This is very important. So Jesus says the same thing to the Pharisees. That they, they, he's saying that the thing that's keeping you from believing, all you people, the Pharisees, isn't the fact that I haven't done enough. It's the fact that you love the glory that comes from each other. And you'd rather your friends approve of you than God say, well done. You're, you're choosing who you'd rather approve from. You're making the wrong choice. This is what he's saying. It's preventing you from believing because your heart loves one thing more than the other. So that would be the third thing about real belief that Jesus clarifies here. The fourth thing, which we already said, the number one command and defining mark of a Christian is to love God. Matthew 22, 37. Let me write these down just so you know, the, at least the verses of the first points. So Matthew 10, uh, Matthew 22, 37. Sorry, I mean, you'll figure it out. <laughs> Ask the Spirit for help. I got more important things to do, like preach. All right, here we go. Here, no, 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 look, I'm taking time. Here it is. All right, great, wonderful. So the fourth thing, Matthew 22, 37, the number one command is to love God. Not believe. Now, obviously, believing is essential. You have to believe. But the command is to love God. You love God. The reason why people die and go to hell separated from God is because they don't love God. This is the reason. And without Jesus having come in and changing your life, none of us can love God. We need God to help us love God. We need God to save us so we love God. So love, right? That's the wrong kind of love. So you must love God more than anything else. That's the defining mark of a Christian uh, and then as we've seen from the beginning of John, we've talked about this. We've probably defined believing like 100 times by now, and John's very helpful with this. But true believing, John 1.12 says, is a receiving. So I can't believe in Jesus if I don't receive Jesus, right? So if they're not willing to associate with Jesus, that means they can't believe him. That means they don't believe him. John 1.12, to all who believed him, who received him, he called them the children of God. So this is John 1.12. Oh, sorry, that's the wrong, John 1, 12, there we go. And so true believing is a receiving. It is not an intellectual assent. It is not, I agree with the facts that you have presented to me. It is a, wow, I thank you so much, Jesus, for what you've done for me. I love you. Thank you. Yes, yes, to you, Jesus. Be my savior, be my father, be my friend, be these things to me. It's a receiving. So true believing is a receiving. It's just very important. That's why this whole thing we've been talking about, what, what is, how does it, what does it look like to walk with Jesus? Because not only do I want all of us to grow, we all need to grow in what it means to walk with Jesus, but some of us need to learn what it means to actually be a Christian, which is to walk with Jesus. And so John says that here, John 1, 12, true believing is a receiving. So that this believing isn't true because they didn't receive him here. They disassociated themselves with, with Jesus, even though they believed him. And so the warning for you and for me for all of us, is to consider whether our belief is legitimate or not. 
to really evaluate. The Bible says multiple times that you should examine yourself, test and see whether you're really a child of God. Think through what the scripture says, bring it to bear on your life. And as we always say, if your Christianity is defined by coming to church and trying to avoid being a bad person, that's not Christianity. It doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to the club does. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian at all. Zero. It's something Christians do. And so I really want that to be clear for all of us that believing is these things and not just agreeing with me when I talk. Okay? So now which I appreciate when you agree with me, though. So that's, that's a good thing. You should, you should agree with me all the time because I've never said anything wrong. Okay, number one, uh, well, my wife would agree with that. And what I wanted to do now, I began to think more, okay, this is biblically true. This is your Bible argument for why this and this can't co- why, why What's wrong with this kind of belief, okay? This is your Bible argument for this. And I just began to think through, like, what is going on in their hearts, like what's happening, just me, I'm a, I'm a human, I love the praise of men, I struggle with that. Like what am I after? Why, why is it that I, would, that I would choose that over something else? And we all know what that's like. And remember what we have to do when we read the Bible is put ourselves in their feet because we'd be more like them than the people we think highly of. I'll always assume you're the bad person in the story. This is what I like to read. Like, I'd like to be, you know, David, but when David sins, I'm not David anymore. I'm somebody else. You know, I'm the guy who calls out David because, you know, I'm more always the best people in the story. And so when I read it, I think, okay, I'm more like a Pharisee than I think. So, okay, what? what's happening here? Like, Jesus is right there. He's great. Like, why? What are you, what are you doing? And so I began to think through three things that I think are going to help you understand why you make choices like this either because you haven't believed in Jesus yet or why you make choices like this even though you have believed and you slip and fall because you love the praise of men. Why is that? So there's three things that we all look for in life. This is very simple. Three questions everybody's trying to answer. Who am I? Where do I belong? What is my purpose? Those three questions drive your whole life, whether you've thought about it or not. Who am I? What's my identity? Where do I belong? In what place? What structure? What group? What family? What social unit? Where do I belong? And what is my purpose? What am I here for? These three questions, your answer to these three questions determines how you live, 100%. So I'll make you think, okay, yeah, these three questions that determines how you live, determines how I live, determines how they live. And so I began to think through the choice they would make in light of those three questions, all right? So this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna work through each question and what their answer to the question was as opposed to what it should have been, what they were choosing. So number one, they're thinking, who am I? They're trying to answer that question for themselves. Just think, as a human, you, know, you want to be loved, appreciated, whatever. Think like them. So this is what happens. They choose then, they're trying to answer that question, they choose to find their identity and what other people think about them, but more importantly, the false presentation of themselves. So what do other people think about the best presentation of myself, like the not me? How can I make myself look something I'm not so that other people can approve of me? So they chose, they chose to find their identity, they they chose to answer the question, who am I, based off what those people said. That's how they chose. You, group of people, determine my identity, and therefore, I have to present myself to be something I'm not so that you approve of me, because if you don't approve of me, I no longer have personhood. If you don't speak well of me, who am I? And now they begin to struggle with this identity crisis and they're so wrapped up in what these people think because it gives them a sense of identity, which is important, that they literally cannot believe 
Jesus when he's standing right in front of them. That's how strong this pull for identity is in their lives. They want identity, and now they're trying to find it in what they think about themselves, and they have to present themselves in a certain way, which is normally false, which is exactly what we do on social media all the time, so that other people will think something about us that we're not. Because we have to have their approval. We just have to have it. If we don't have it, I just don't know who I am anymore. And we can look at them and say, oh, you're terrible, but we all know that's exactly how we live our lives. And what's interesting as I began to think about this is, you know how John's so great because everything weaves together, but we, we saw in John 4 with the woman at the well, this beautiful truth from Jesus that he knows everything about you and he loves you anyways. Right? He's like, hey, go call your husband. And she's like, I don't have one. He's like, you're right, because the one you're living with ain't your husband and neither were the five before that. And so he's just getting in her business, basically calling her out for sleeping around. He knows exactly the lifestyle she's been living. She's ostracized from her community. Everybody knows what she's been doing. What does Jesus do? Does he look at her and condemn her? No. He looks at her in that moment, and he offers salvation, and her whole life changes. He knows everything about her, and he loves her anyways. She now switches from finding her identity and what men think about her, and that breaking her life, to finding her identity and what Jesus thinks about her, and that setting her free. And these people now are making the same choice. They can find their identity in what a social group thinks about them, or they can choose to let Jesus define who they are. And the beauty for this is they don't have to present themselves as something they're not, and neither do you. So look, right, when you go with your group of friends, when you come to Citywide, when you go to church, when you go to work, when you, right, we're always, because we know our insecurities and we know our problems, trying to present ourselves better than we really are. And we know, we just know, that if people knew everything about us, they wouldn't think the same things. And so we have to be fake. We have to present ourselves sometimes in a way that we're not because we need to be accepted. And now it just eats us up because it sucks to not be accepted and it sucks to try to be somebody you're not and now you just live your whole life trying to get something you can't get and being stressed about not being able to get it and being insecure that you're not who you'd like to be anyways. And, and because you're finding your identity in all these people, and they're, they're controlling everything about you and, and that's the same for them. And, and then Jesus comes and he offers something different to say, you can be my child. Your identity can be a child of God child of the, of the king. Your identity can be with me. He offers us that, but they chose. They chose to get the identity from people rather than from God. So not only did they have to falsely present themselves as believing something they didn't or not believing something they did, but for the rest of their life they had to do the same thing. This doesn't stop at Jesus. They had to keep living this way, and that's torture. You and I both know that. Jesus wants to set you free from that. The second thing, the second reason they would do this, or the thing they did, they're, they're looking for a place of belonging. They simply chose to belong in a synagogue instead of heaven. They chose the favor of the people rather than the family of God. They chose, they looked at the options, and because sin is so blinding, they chose to belong in a synagogue, in an earthly synagogue with a bunch of people that would turn their backs on them in an instant, rather than belong in, this, in the city of God in heaven. This is how, I want you to see how insane this makes a person. If you just weigh those two options, you can choose to be temporarily approved for a few minutes, hours, years of your life, and then die and go to hell, or you can choose to be disdained and disapproved of for a few minutes, years of your life, and die and go to heaven and be approved of and happy forever. Which one are you gonna choose? Any person who's going to say, oh, of course, the second one, right? But they're so blinded by their desire to seek approval and find a place of belonging. You as a human being and me have a real sense of belonging. I have to belong somewhere. I want to know where I fit in. 
What group am I with? Who can I associate with? Who's got my back? Who can I call? Like, where do I fit in? Where do I belong? Right? This is why middle school and high school are terrible, right? Because everybody's mean and everybody's trying to figure that out. And that's why, I'm just, that's why my life is just hard because we're all trying to figure that out. And then we don't belong. It's really frustrating. And then we present ourselves, right? And it's just this rat race and it's really terrible. And now they're choosing to belong in a synagogue instead of heaven. And now Jesus the whole time is offering them that, to belong in his family. He's saying, if you believe in me, you be one with me. And so they love the approval of men. They're trying to find a place of belonging, but they've chosen to belong there. So it's the same thing with you and me when we choose to belong, to not confess the name of Jesus so we can belong at work. When we choose to not confess the name of Jesus so we can belong in the same social circles that we like. When we choose not to confess the name of Jesus so we can belong, we have now rejected God and chosen a temporary place of belonging over receiving God's forever place of belonging and dealing with people's rejection for the present. This is what's happening when you're not naming Christ in the places you seek simply because you want to belong. And Jesus isn't here saying, stop that, you're bad, whatever. He's saying, no, 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 I have a better place of belonging for you in the family of God. I will always love you. I will never leave you. This will last forever. I will never turn my back on you. I will always satisfy you. You can belong with me in my family. I love you. Or you can choose them. And it's temporary and they'll reject you and they're not going to satisfy you. This is what Jesus wants for us. This is the thing that's going on in the heart. This is why they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So instead of belonging in heaven, they chose to belong somewhere temporary in the synagogue. The third thing, which is a result of the first two, who am I, where do I belong, what is my purpose? Get this, their purpose was trying to get the first two things. That's what you live your whole life for, approval and belonging. So now their whole purpose is just trying to get the first two things. And they're scrambling. They make decisions about their whole life and eternity so they can receive the first two things, identity and belonging. And they're stressing and they're scrambling and they're grabbing and their purpose in life is just to get those things. So I do whatever I have to do to belong here, here, or there, whatever I have to do. And my whole purpose in existence belongs what, becomes what can I do so that I can have an identity that makes me feel secure and so I can belong somewhere that makes me feel good. So now their purpose has just turned into trying to get the first two things, which they'll never get. And look what Jesus, what, this is so far in what Jesus wants to do. They chose to find their purpose in trying to get the first two things. The other option for us as believers is instead of trying to get the first two things, we already have the first two things, so now our purpose is open to do anything else. So those are your, your options that they're choosing here. You can either live your whole life trying to get the first two things and never get it and be frustrated and sad and lonely and upset your whole life or very prideful because it's working out for you for a moment. Maybe people like you and maybe you belong and that's happening well for a minute, that won't last. And it certainly won't be a good excuse when you stand before God. So you can choose to spend your whole life trying to get those two things and make your whole purpose in life trying to get those two things or you can choose to receive those two things directly from God and live your whole life doing other things. Namely, living for him, serving and loving others, being free from the need to be approved of by men, being free from the need to be belonging in a certain place for my identity, being freed from those things. I'm a free man. Now I, now I can really live. My purpose is no longer trying to get the two things. I have them, so now my purpose is wide open. I can live for God. I can live for things that matter. I can lay my life down. I can be disapproved of by people. I can do things that really matter in this world because now I'm free. This is what's happening with them. This is the option that Jesus gives us. 
So here's what I want to do, because that took longer than I was planning on. It's just so important. I just, when I was reading this passage, the one thing that came to mind to tell you is don't love the wrong kind of glory. That was like, I feel like the message from God for us tonight, from his word, for you and for me, this is a warning to say, don't love the wrong kind of glory. Don't love the approval that comes from man. It's a very dangerous thing. It could send you honestly straight to hell. Don't love finding your identity and your belonging in a, in a place here more than God. Don't love the wrong kind of glory. Don't love the wrong kind of glory. Don't love the wrong kind of glory. Jesus is offering you something different and better. And if you live for that, you'll be a free man and a free woman. So here, uh, let's just finish this so y'all can talk. He says, uh, we'll come back to those questions. Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Whoever sees me sees him who sent me. Here's it, here it is. I have come into the world as light, why? So that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Here's the kicker, is what he's saying to them. You presently are remaining in darkness. I am the light. If you believe in me, you'll be pulled out of your darkness. And some of you, honestly, came in here and you're in a very dark place in life because of sin and its effects in the world and your life, because of the things other people are doing to sin against you, because of your circumstances. You're in a very, very dark place. And I love this from the Lord because he's saying if you would get yourself off of receiving the glory that comes from man, trying to belong here and all these different things that are putting you in a very dark place and you would see me and believe in me, I would lift you out of that dark place. You would not remain there. And I'd set you free. Look at this. This is the end. If, I'll read. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. I love this. Jesus is going to judge. We know that. But what's his major intent? Saving. Right? When Jesus sees your sin, his goal isn't to judge you, it's to save you. Now, if you reject his salvation, he will judge you. But the heart of Jesus, his intent, is to save you. That's what he wants. That's what he loves. He didn't come to judge, but to save. If he has to judge, he will, and he will. But his heart towards you is one of a loving, loving Savior. He wants to save you. He didn't come to save The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge, the word that I have spoken on him in the last day. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know this commandment is eternal life. Here it is. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. And he's, this is his final thing before he goes off to the disciples. He's saying, this commandment, everything the Father has told me, everything that's coming out of my mouth is for your eternal life. I have come so that you would not remain in the darkness. I just know, I just know that there's many of you who are presently remaining in the darkness. I mean, it's either because you love the wrong kind of glory and you haven't truly trusted in Christ for your salvation and he's offering that to you tonight, or it's either because you haven't gone to him to really lift you out of that pit. This is Jesus' intent, is that you wouldn't remain in, in darkness, in the darkness of your sin, in the darkness of hopelessness, in the darkness of your anxiety, in the darkness of your depression, in the darkness of all the things that people have sinned against you, in the darkness of your past and the shame that comes from that, in the darkness of all these different things in your life. Jesus' goal is not that you would remain there. He came to bring light and to lift you out. But if you love the wrong kind of glory, you'll remain. That's the word from from the Lord. If you love the wrong kind of glory, you'll remain. Hey, as we uh, wrap up, we're going to pray. Uh, and I just want to make sure uh, everybody, 
uh, is aware and has a chance to really um, turn to Christ if that's needed. And, uh, you know, the beautiful thing about the scriptures and about the story is uh, Jesus entered into the darkness so that you wouldn't have to remain there. This is the whole beautiful truth of the scriptures, that Jesus entered in and he bore the wrath of God so you wouldn't have to. He paid for your sins so you wouldn't have to. God turned away from him so he wouldn't have to turn away from you. And Jesus went into the darkness so you wouldn't remain there. And so I hope that you have that kind of hope for your life, both for now and forever, that no matter how dark it may seem and no matter what it may look like, Jesus already conquered that. And that you really can walk in the light and you can enter into the light forever with him. I want everybody in this room to like leave this place knowing that's true for them. And so I just want you to reflect on that. I'm gonna, as I pray, I just want you to really think about that. And if, if you desire and need to make that decision to really follow Christ, to receive what he's done for you, his life, death, and resurrection for you, just come talk to me or talk to the friend who brought you or somebody you trust and we'd love to help you think through that. But please just don't walk out of here if you feel a slight bit unsure about whether your belief is legitimate or not. All right, so let's pray, uh, and then we'll see you next week. Heavenly Father, we love you uh, so very much. We thank you, most importantly, that you sent Jesus not to judge the world, but to save the world. Uh, Lord, that even though we love the glory that comes from men, and even though we willfully reject you, you still pursue us, and you still love us, and you love us to the point where you went to die on the cross for us, and even though we've chosen the wrong way so often, you draw us back and you're so patient and kind with us, Lord. I, uh, I, we love the wrong kind of glory and we ask for your forgiveness and I, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to really live our lives finding our identity in you, finding our place of belonging in you, Lord, finding our purpose in you so that we're not seeking it from somewhere else, God. Deliver us from our insatiable need for the praise of men. God, I pray that we'd make it a, a, at least an inch of progress today that we would move forward to really love you more, to seek your approval more than anybody else's. Lord, help us. And God, I pray that for those in the room who, who haven't really believed and trusted you, that you would work in their heart, that they would do so even tonight. So we love you. We thank you for your word. Help us to leave from here ready to walk with you in new power and new hope. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.